0: Hi everyone, welcome to, I think this is my third guest episode of 2024. Today I'm joined by my friend Brian. (laughs) So Brian, do you want to give a quick introduction of yourself?
1: I'm so honored to be here on the third, this is the third series? It's the the third episode of my guest series. Cool. (laughs) Uh, Well, what a privilege. I feel like I've heard about this podcast and like Emily's passion project, you know, for for some time and it's a wonder to actually be here. Um, I'm brian i let's see i don't know what do people usually say on these like
0: where are you from
1: i'm from frisco (laughs) which is like a little bit north of um downtown dallas down in texas yeah i actually didn't know you were from texas i know it's crazy where did you think i was from i don't
0: know like california
1: dude i always ask this question to people and they're like it's california or like pacific northwest and i'm like i wish i grew up It's because
0: you're such a free spirit I can't, I don't really see I that. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you're also a senior. At yes, Harvard. I'm also a
1: senior. Um, I study like medical anthropology and mental health related things, I guess. Um, yeah. What else has been things that I like to do? Um, a lot of, lately it's been a lot of like rock climbing and hiking and kind of some artsy things. I had like a little bit of a dance phase last semester, which I'm trying to reactivate post thesis. Um a lot of photography. I think that's always been yeah. a big part, especially when it comes to like nature and, you know, just things that I find very pretty, which tends to be in nature. Yeah. Um. Sometimes people. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes.
0: Sometimes. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess that kind of leads into how we met. Because every time I bring a guest on, I like to explain, um, how we met in the first place. And we met through, we were both backpacking leaders for the first year orientation program, and, I think. I've kind of talked about nature in this podcast, like, not super explicitly, but I feel like you have a really interesting relationship with nature, and you're a very, like, again, like, free-spirited, artsy person, so do you just want to start there? Uh, Artsy person, (laughs) what? Do you want to go into, do you want to start there? sure. I think,
1: I mean, I still find it to be kind of incredible that we survived that eight days of backpacking training for the first year outdoor program, and I'm kind of like, like, if FOP made me do that, I can do everything, you know? Right. At least when it comes to the outdoors, right? Um, so I, I feel like I've always had, like, a pretty strong, like, connection to nature and just, like, things outside. But that's lately been very much accelerated through, um, I don't know, like, a mix of, like, rock climbing and being outdoors and hiking and FOP, right? And, like, mm-hmm. t- even, like, sharing um, natural experiences and that sense of wonder with, like, the first years that I had. Like, I don't know if you had that experience, too, mm-hmm. right? But there was a lot of, like, meditation and more, I guess, like, spiritual engagement with nature than I expected on FOP. Um, and I feel like that's the avenue that I'm going down.
0: Yeah. It do, so do you think that you have always been into nature or was it just something that you've really explored in college? And how has that relationship sort yeah. of evolved?
1: Well, I feel like I've been pretty lucky that like, I I wouldn't say that my family is, like, super outdoorsy, right, um, but my parents are certainly fond of, like, national parks, and, like, usually if we do go out somewhere, um, our first sort of interest is, like, seeing what kind of natural wonders or environment is around us, right, um, like, even in Texas, you can drive, like, maybe, well, actually, Texas is freaking huge, you know, so it's, (laughs) like, if you drive eight hours, you're still in Texas, but, like, just over the past winter, like, um, my dad was like, oh, like, I kind of want to be outdoors. Don't want to be at home for, like, the whole Christmas break. So we were just, like, kind of spontaneous S-trip, took our car and drove, like, seven or eight hours to Guadalupe Peak, which is, like, um, the supposed to be the highest peak in Texas. And even then, it's, like, only 3,000 feet. Um, But I think, like, through a lot of that exposure, uh, like, I guess, like, there's always been a little bit of a inclination towards like wanting to be outside um and that sort of feeling of being immersed in um all this like beauty Mm -hmm. that's already existing in such a perfect state around you in the world um but really I think it was as you said like in college where I feel like I was able to cultivate some of my own relationship to that um and I think part of that was like certainly with like different sort of groups or clubs and friends, right? Like, whether it's, like, FOP or going to, like, even, like, the Harvard Arboretum. Um, Like, I feel like I have a lot of fond memories there, various trips with friends, you know? Um, And then, I guess, like, also individually, too. I feel like college, like, because there's so much more determination about, like, how you decide to spend your own time, Mm. um, I found myself, like, especially in, like, first year, like COVID year, like, so I can't believe like that, all of that happened, right? Know, but, fever like, dream. Yeah, like actually a fever dream. And since everything was close, and I feel like I started college, like, so desperately looking for a place to go outdoors. Um, like, instead of like going to like some dorm and like hanging out, which I honestly, I don't understand the feel of that, like, first years today, I'm like, you're, you're missing out, like mm-hmm. not being forced to like be outside, I guess. Um, I,
0: I never actually thought about that, but it is true like we yeah. we had to leave our rooms. And so I think I explored Boston more during my covid year than I have <laughs>
1: for the like the last 3 years. Lasts, right? three years. Yeah. It's
0: just sad but interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I I that's absolutely part of it cuz I feel like I discovered all of my favorite places in the city at least outside um, in that first like 2 months of college, right? Like it was like from like the little spot by like the Esplanade in the river, like where you watch sunsets to like, Middlesex fells, like there's a tower, you know, and I went there like twice in the same week. And like, you're, there's nothing else to do. So like, you're just like making the most of being outdoors. Um, and I've always thought like, sunsets and like also sunrises hold a lot of meaning for me, but especially um, coming out of my gap year in Morocco and having watched like all those sunsets, I feel like in the first, months like during COVID semesters it was so much more grounding to have that experience being outside and that really anchored like my relationship with nature throughout the rest of college too. Mm.
0: I yeah thanks for sharing that I think one thing I really notice about you and also appreciate is that you you touch on this idea of wonder and I remember you, I, I remember you mentioning that and it's sort of been stuck in my head as you've been talking I think that you have a very artful eye for the world around you and I, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about, like, this, just this idea of wonder and, like, give us some insight into how you see the world, because yeah. well, I think you're just, you're a very... I, I
1: appreciate that a lot, Emily. <laughs> I honestly feel like I'm plagiarizing here, because so much of, like, how I think about wonder is also, in conversation, very much influenced by David, like, okay. you know, David Chen, right? Yeah. Um, he has his own little, like, Humans of Harvard podcast. He has a podcast, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um And I think like when I really started to think about wonder was when David and I were like going about our little psychedelic experiences. Right. Um, Oftentimes together, oftentimes like thinking, I think together, like just for the first time, like how beautiful and complex the world is and how we could reconcile that with the things that we were even learning in school. Right. So like one of the like kind of cheesy, but like very standout moments, when I really started to contemplate wonder in, like, my everyday life was, like, so, like, you know how everyone dreads, like, organic chemistry? Yeah. And I told you, I think I told you this story, right, of, like, me going into Orgo and then, like, absolutely thinking that this is going to be, a, like, a really, like, hell of a time, yeah. right? Um And I just remember, like, David telling me, like, oh, like, that's what I thought at first, but if you just, like, let yourself suspend that judgment for a second and think about like how crazy complex like this language of life that you're learning is and like how these enzymes throughout your body are able to like just perform these like reactions in perfect harmony, like billions of times a second, right? Like how like how is it anything but wonder? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, okay, like, David, like, you're, you're doing your thing where you, like, speak in truisms and, like, all that again, but, like, I get it, you know? Like, this makes sense. And then throughout the rest of the semester, I was just, like, wait, like, even, like, my professor was, like, kind of, like, there, were, there would be moments where, like, he would pause in class and he'd be, like, oh, yeah, like, let's just take a moment to appreciate, like, how crazy and beautiful and complex, mm-hmm. like, our lives are, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, viewed from this, like, standpoint, right? And I think from there, right, like, a lot of my thought process started to branch out and think about like how every sort of discipline right like whether it's like science or physics or like religion or even in like I guess like social sciences and humanities right like all of those aspects of knowledge point to I think a universal truth and that is like how beautifully complex the world is and how our role in them is also wonderfully complex
0: mm. wow <laughs> that was wow that was beautiful sorry deep philosophical knowledge no, bog, so, you philosophical, know, so many things that i want to ask number one i do want to talk about psychedelics because i think we've yeah. talked about it before my whole personality like, you know you have a very interesting view on them and then i want to sort of pivot to this idea of, like, wonder being tied into our relationships with other people. and The idea of, like, love and care, which also can tie into your thesis. So, two different avenues. Let's start with the psychedelics part. Okay. Do you want to share your journey? Like, what what does that look like? What role do you think they play in your life? How have they changed your life?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, this is, like, such a extensive question. I feel like I don't really do it justice with, like, all of the ways in which, like, psychedelics and like these really fundamentally very powerful very spiritual medicines right have been used in such a long history right that I can only recount like a small piece of that and I just I think honestly a lot of this is also I think rooted in my interest in like mental health too yeah um because I feel like although I have had like personal experiences and like a lot of like um like, really important revelations of some sorts, like, in conversation with psychedelics, I think I first approach, like, these substances um, from the perspective of, like, I guess, like, curiosity or, like, even, like, from hearing about them in, like, research, right? Um,
0: I mean, there's a lot of research. I oh, actually, yeah. I'm in, I've mentioned this before, I'm in a spirituality and healing class, and it's offered by the dip school and the med school, and we just had a, lecture on psychedelics and this guy came in mm-hmm. and talked about how it's being used and studied and really specific treatments mm-hmm. which I find really interesting. Yeah
1: it's it's honestly fascinating because like I think there's been a lot more attention to psychedelics like there was kind of like a kind of new revival of interest and like a kind of new cultural moment that we're at right now with like the state of mental health research and medical research around psychedelics and also I think the recognition that a lot of the previous stigma attached to it is associated with like a really wrongful like war on drugs, right? That has really disproportionately impacted like black and brown communities, right? Um, And if it weren't for like a little fateful turn of politics with like Nixon and everything, like maybe if the 1960s research on like LSD and like all those things had continued, like we would have been in a very different place, I think with like mental health treatments and Mm -hmm. everything today, right? Um, so I was, I was just, like, kind of, at first, like, just listening along. Um, I think David and I, like, again, like, for, like, we, I feel like we've shared, like, a lot of formative moments in our journey around nature and spirituality and psychedelics. I should
0: bring him on the pod. You should
1: really bring him on the podcast, <laughs> I mean, too. I well,
0: I will be on his pod if he'll be on mine. <laughs> exactly, right? It's like,
1: it's a quid pro quo. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's what they call it. Quick. <laughs> You're welcome. Latin background coming Thanks. out again. <laughs> Um, but I just remember, like, at first it being kind of like a, oh, like, let's watch this, like, documentary, and it was, like, Fantastic Fungi, which is, like, you know, like, very, like, I think, obviously beautiful and aesthetic, right, but also, I think, part of, like, a sort of, um, docu-culture in a way that, like, also, uh, investigates, like, the potencies and, like, potentials of... Uh, psychedelic mushrooms and psilocybin mushrooms right Um, and then there was like the whole like how to change your mind series that like michael poland did on Mm. netflix um and then i started listening to like some podcasts i was like psychedelics today and they literally just do like an hour episodes like every week or so um and then like i just like found that like the descriptions of like the very like different worlds that people were entering, right? Like in relationship to psychedelics, in like the ways that it was altering people's relationship to their self, to their mental health, right? Um, even in like a lot of the medical research that was reported, like I think psilocybin, um, which is the active ingredient in like magic mushrooms, was mm-hmm. just like approved for, like, treatment-resistant depression, you know? And that was, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, like crazy things, right? I
0: mean, here's the thing. I also, like, I don't know much about psychedelics, so I don't, like, I don't want to make these claims, and, like, I, there's definitely more that I need to know, but I, from my experiences just talking to a lot of people who are on treatments for mental mm-hmm. health conditions, it just doesn't seem like they're working.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, but,
0: like, I think that, like, these medicines, quote, medicines that we're... Yeah manufacturing and giving to people like what's so different about that and psychedelics yeah just compounds yes <laughs>
1: like at, like they are fundamentally like molecular compounds yeah. right? but I think like the like I absolutely agree with you there I think what is kind of scary to think about is like from my perspective and I think like from a more critical like perspective um, a lot of the medicines that we have, of like Lexapro and mm-hmm. like Wellbutrin and like things, that are meant to be taken on like a daily debate, like an antidepressant or an SSRI. Um, a lot of them, I think, are not necessarily catered towards like a patient's like long term mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it feels a lot like symptom management. It's like um, damage control. Yeah, damage control, right? But and not
0: addressing the root of it.
1: Exactly, and I think there are reasons to that, right, both because we don't understand enough about mental health, but also because there are very real profit incentives to, like, keeping someone on, like, a very pharmaceutically patented medicine. I mean, the U.S. is very over-medicated. Yeah, (laughs) so, like, if you really look at, like, um, some of the, like, I don't know, like, recent global research on, like, mental health and stuff, like, most of the time people are not looking for, like, medicine right they're looking for like psychological treatment or like therapy and like that's really like what works best right but the interesting part about psychedelics is that like it in some ways like amplifies that therapeutic experience um and i guess like it changes things in like your brain's default mode network.
0: I mean, doesn't it change like the synapses? Yeah. Like, something exactly. about your something about the chemistry in your brain. It rewires yeah, yeah. your brain. It right?
1: rewires your brain um and it increases like neuroplasticity, which is like how I guess like your nerve cells are able to form like new connections and I think break out of like unhealthy thought patterns, for instance, right? Yeah. Um so like if you think about it, like the psychedelics, like as you said, I, I think what's really optimistic and what drives my interest in psychedelic medicines is the fact that it's potentially able to address like a root cause, right? Yeah. And that root cause is um, something deeply meaningful or spiritual or personal to an individual like patient, right? right. Um, and what's really crazy is that although that personal relationship may be different for everyone, um, psychedelics and psychedelic medicines can I think, like, pretty consistently uh, for every person, activate a mechanism in which they can tap into that with the help of a therapist. Mm. So,
0: well, so um, the speaker that I, I just listened to, he's a psychedelic therapist. And he said that, so a lot of the questions were, so what do you do? Like, what do you do for the patient? And he yeah. said that he's essentially like a sitter. Yeah, you kind of <laughs> just babysit them. Like, but, it's but crazy. Saying, like, okay, so we give them this, you know, this course of treatment. Yeah. And his setup is like, they lie on a couch, they have yeah. goggles on, they just, they have music, music. exactly. And he was like, and I'm just there, you know, to, to guide them, whatever they need. And also, I don't, I mean, I want to ask you about your first trip and like mm-hmm. what your experience is like, but he said that a lot of times like patients will go in thinking, I'm going to have this trip. I'm going to have this kind of X, Y, yeah. Z or whatever. And it rarely ever, like you can never predict the weight, the type of trip mm-hmm. that you have. And I don't know if you can speak to, like, your experience. Yeah, with that. I like, guess, how like, it changed you. I think,
1: I think for me, like, I definitely kind of have the same sentiment because you can set intentions and you should set intentions for your trips, right? Whether that's, like, trying to, like, I don't know, like, call into mind, like, a certain thing you want to think about. I think a lot of my trips, like, recently have been um, themed in some way, right? Like, around, like, contemplating, like, love or, like, my relationship to, um, another person, another, like, I don't know, like, realm of being or universe, right, um, and trying to find my place in there, so, like, those can all be intentions, right, but as you said, like, I think sometimes, like, the medicine takes hold and it just takes you in a different direction, um, and things that you may not always realize that were under the surface, but really that maybe you needed to confront, Uh, or to really contemplate in more detail are able to come to your conscious mind. And Mm -hmm. with psychedelics, I think, like, it kind of feels like a file expander for me. It's like Mm -hmm. your brain, like, kind of unravels its typical notions of time and space. And I feel like I um, have sometimes, like, a lot of thoughts, sometimes, like, no thoughts at all. Yeah. Um, It really kind of depends on which substance and I think what sort of like setting I'm in right um but I think to your question about like my first experience I think what was really memorable and like what I considered to be like my first real experience was um with there is uh like a type of cactus that contains like um, a psychedelic compound right and um my friend and I basically decided that like there should be enough of this compound in, like, the skin of this cactus that you can, like, boil it down into a tea. Um, So after taking that, like, very herbal concoction, right, and consulting a lot of, like, research Reddit posts, like, I think a lot of, like, um, literature also on, like, Indigenous ways of how it is used, right, um, we, like, basically just, like, meditated and then, like, I think, as you said, like, you can kind of, like, try and understand like what a trip would be like but even then the experience and the the feeling or like the affective outcome of it um is still something that's indescribable so still something I don't think I can put into language right um and that's like something consistent I feel on my trips is that um the experiences I have I feel like are not necessarily uh, able to be captured at the level of communication that language is able to create right? interesting yeah like so on my first trip right like I remember distinctively like meditating like sitting through some of the like initial nausea from like the first trip right and then going outside and like I literally walked out of DeWolf <laughs> and, like to the street for Quincy house right and I felt like I opened my eyes for the first time Wow! like it was like it was like seeing the world through a child's eyes again I mean right? I
0: think that really speaks to that idea of wonder right yeah like completely just I mean, I, I feel like over the past few years, I have really become very jaded and my way of viewing the world, it seems so fixed. Mm -hmm. But then you're over here saying, I literally felt like I was reborn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and so do you think that was sort of like an aha moment for you? I
1: think I think it really was like the beginning of a couple aha moments. And and do you um, think
0: that it changed you as a person? Like yeah, changed your personality? Sure. I mean, I didn't know you before. I don't. This, so I don't know. Like the Brian that I don't know now <laughs> is great. I don't know. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I think like it didn't necessarily alter my personality, right? I feel like I'm still the same sort of like, even in high school. I feel like maybe I didn't anticipate going in this direction, right? But. I was very much adventurous and seeking new experiences and interested in like different spiritual and I guess like emotional realms, right? Um, but I think like the most substantial change for me is that having the ability to process a lot of my experiences and rethink about the world and reimagine like my like, current perspective of things through psychedelics um, has made me feel a lot more calm and I think like there's like a kind of fundamental peace, right or maybe I I was already an optimistic person um, but I think there is like a sense of like all will turn out okay Mm -hmm. um, life and death and everything else right that is somewhat captured by I guess if you look at like Buddhist or religious texts, right? Like, what they say about, like, accepting death as no better than life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, that kind of, like, what I think what Buddhism would say is, like, Mm non-dualism, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, um, like, this idea that there's not really these binaries between good or bad in Mm -hmm. life. Um, Along with, like, other concepts, like, no-self or, um, I don't know. Like, even this idea, like, one of the earliest things I thought about, um, even before I really went on any psychedelic experiences was the idea of like indra's net of jewels um and it's this like like there's some crazy drawings of it if you just google it right um but it's the idea that like within this like suspended spider web of like jewels at each node of the web there is a jewel and each jewel like reflects back every other jewel in that net heard of it? Yeah. I have heard of it. I think that was a bastardized description, no, but like,
0: <laughs> I, I mean, what is, what is the point it's trying to make?
1: Yeah, and, and I I didn't understand the point I think until after some of my psychedelic experiences, because I think I think what Indra's Net is trying to illustrate, right, is the interconnectedness of all beings, right, interbeing, which um, I think is a pretty prevalent concept in Hawaiian Buddhism, mm-hmm. um, and. What, like, I started to realize in my psychedelic experiences is that I would have these moments where, like, I feel like either I was, like, a little bit out of body in some ways, like, I could see myself through the lens of another person, right? Like, sitting in the subway, I, like, would close my eyes and would see my own body in that subway through someone else's view who's right across from me, right? That kind of stuff. And then I would think about, like, how, like, in this very particular everyday moment, right? Like, a moment on the T, which I wouldn't ever even imagine or think about it normally. Um, those small, mundane moments hold so much meaning because those could be... Like, that could be the one time that, like, you cross paths with this other person. Mm-hmm. You collide with this other universe, right? Um, and I think, like, just, like, like that's, like, a small snippet of, like, I think other times when I feel like I've had moments where I, like, saw, like the face of a tree branch, Hmm. you know? That was, like, on one of my earlier experiences, too, where I feel like the tree recognized me, and I recognized the tree, and I was like, this is, like, some kind of, like, interspecies communication that we haven't even discovered, you know? (laughs) Like, it's, like, how, like, fungi and, like, um, you know, the mycelium in fungi can, like, allow trees to communicate with each other. Yeah. Right? Like, just crazy things like that, right?
0: That's really interesting, and I think I... To talk about nature, to sort of, like, go back to that a little bit, I think the most, like, what you're describing with this, like, out-of-body, like, wondrous experience, the time I have felt that the most was on our backpacking trip. Yeah. Like, I just remember, it's just, you you realize, like, the world is so big. The world is so big. And there's so much life in everything around you. And then we're just going out and, like, trying to survive in this world that is surviving Mm -hmm. on its own. Yeah. And I remember, like, there was a night where I couldn't sleep, so I just like everyone was sleeping, and I just went out and I was like going to, go to the bathroom, walk around in pitch black. Yeah. Literally pitch black around me, and I had it's kind of scary me. out there. It's scary, yeah. and I looked up and I, I saw the stars, and I just like looked. It's it, it just like it was like never ending mm-hmm. darkness, and at that moment I was like, wow, like I am so insignificant. <laughs> yes,
1: it's but it's exactly that feeling, right? Like, but,
0: but I still felt so. Like I felt like I belonged in that moment. I can't explain it. I don't know if that was like the conversation part you were talking mm-hmm. about, but it was, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's like, I guess like one of the best analogies or descriptions I've read is like, it's like you're a grain of sand or like a drop of water in the ocean, right? Um, like you're small and insignificant because you're only one drop, but you are also the entire ocean that's made of those drops. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, when you confront that, like, pitch black darkness, right? Like, I've had that same experience, like, on the second or third night of my backpacking trip, and I was like, wow, like, I don't know what's out here. I could be eating my wolves or something. I don't know. There's definitely not wolves here, but, like, it feels like that. Bears? Bears, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Um, But it's, I don't know. It's, like, I think part of me at that moment questions, like, why am I afraid of the dark, right? And Mm -hmm. the other part of you questions, like, wait, like, isn't it, like, natural that I should be afraid of the dark, right? And then I'm, like, but, like, what about nature makes me scared of the dark? And, like, is that related to my fear of the unknown or to death or to, like, all things uncertain? I'm not really sure, right? And I think what what is kind of crazy about psychedelics is that it, I think it in many ways brought me to a sense of peace with uncertainty mm-hmm. um, because it makes you realize, like, just how much beauty there is in every single moment, right? So, like, I feel today that, like, I'm not even sure, like, if I will be the same person tomorrow or, like, if I'll even be alive, like, in a week from now, right? Like, we take so many things for granted on an everyday basis. Yeah. Um, And if you follow that train of logic, then, like, there's there's no time to be, like, worrying about things or... Not doing what you love to do, or like all these things that we try and push aside, right? In justification of, um, I don't know, doing more work or being more productive or doing the things that we're quote unquote supposed to do, right? I just also wrote like a chapter on that in my thesis. So. Yeah, so <laughs> okay, okay,
0: actually, I do want to pivot to your thesis because I feel like you've explained it a little bit to me, but I'm I just want to hear about what you've been working on, and sure. Touching on you know ideas of love and care, which I know you you write about. So, what's the thesis on? Yeah,
1: well, this is a crazy question. I feel like I'm gonna have to elevator pitch this presentation. <laughs> no, yeah, give me elevator yeah. pitch. Um, I am broadly writing about mental health on campus um, through the lens and experiences of peer counselors. Uh, so, roughly speaking, like that means that my first chapter is about like the history of peer counseling at Harvard and how that emerged. Um, through the conditions of, like, very social and political, uh, I guess, like, strife in some ways, right? And how that sort of social and psychic wound continues to manifest itself, right? And how peer counselors are able to address that. Um, So that's, like, I guess, to your point of, like, talking about love and care. I think um, a lot of what I've noticed um, from the testimonies of peer counselors and also from my own experience is that we are so caught up in like this very like work-driven productivity oriented um mode of like what i guess like most social theorists call neoliberalism right and like neoliberal cultural logics right yeah but um on the day-to-day it means that like we are constantly like thinking about our next task Mm -hmm. or like I not mean, our google I've, calendar I've talk about this right? all
0: the time on my podcast yeah i love talking about productivity culture and yet i'm a part of it
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and it's kind of crazy because like you like in, in many ways like you feel compelled to be a part of it right so like i just wrote about in my first chapter and also my introduction um how like even though we can recognize this to be like productivity culture and self-care and like all these things are kind of oriented around like values of like competition and individualistic success mm-hmm. um, and like self-reliance all these sort of things right um, the ways in which we internalize these logics of neoliberalism still like, Require us in some ways or compel us to feel obligated to perform a certain way.
0: Right? I mean, I do think so. I was in a uh, women and gender studies class last year, and we talked about this in one section. And one thing we said was, Okay, so we've identified this, but mm-hmm. what do we do with it now? And it yeah. felt also a little out of touch to talk about it while in the context of Harvard. And I was like, Yeah, we're talking about productivity and like this idea that we always have to get to the next thing and like how we hate it, and we don't want to be slaves to that, but i do got to get to i do need yeah, to get to the next yeah. thing and like this is on my google calendar and like what do we do with this information? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No that that's 100% true, right? I think like it's easy to kind of diagnose the problem, right? And like yeah. maybe a bit harder to put it in like a very social or structural context, but i think the hardest part is exactly what you said, right? Like what do you do with this information, right? Um, and i think at least my response to that question, I think, began with, like, like finding, like, or carving out, like, moments of resistance or joy that mm-hmm. you feel like are purely for yourself and the people you love, right, mm-hmm. or care about. Um, and I think, like, like, hey, like, if you got to, like, schedule time in your Google Calendar, like, block that stuff off for, like, your weekend, like, I think, I think that's really what started changing for me is, like, sophomore, junior year, I was, like, I'm not going to do work on the weekends, I I mm -hmm. need to, like, block out time, and it's going to be, like, a full day. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go somewhere in the city, explore someplace new, like, maybe take a trip somewhere. And then that will be, like, like, in the moment, I'll be like, oh, like, I need to, like, do this or that, right? But, like, once you get to a certain degree, I think you start to appreciate, like, just how... Important how much life there is to live in those moments outside of your Google Calendar, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then you're like, Yeah, like
0: I actually, my freshman year, I talked about this on this podcast. I used to have like Emily Wellness Days, yeah, and it was I wouldn't do work on Saturdays, yeah, and that was definitely a purely freshman thing because sophomore year started, and I was like, I can't keep this up, I gotta do work on Saturdays. But I mentioned, I feel like I manifest this in this idea of micro restorative moments. And they can be, like, five seconds long. Mm-hmm. They can be an hour long. Like, it, the timing of it doesn't really matter. But the idea that, like, I think this idea of active resistance that you were saying is really, like, actually carving out the time and space to resist. Mm-hmm. I think is important. I mean, what else can you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. Step one. And
1: <laughs> I, I like your like, term of, like, micro-restorative because I think, like, like, one of the really formative books that I read... Um, over my gap year was called How to Do Nothing um, mm-hmm. by Jenny O'Dell. And I probably told you about this. I think you have. Yeah. But like the the whole idea of like being situated in a very hyper stimulating attention economy where like, like our, like the form of currency that we contribute towards, right, in social media, in the tasks that we're supposed to do in our everyday lives is attention, right? Yeah. And like the attention that we're forced to pay or the attention that like we lose, right, when, we're caught up in all these moments of everyday, like, routinely action, right? Like, everything starts to feel mechanized at some point. Um, And I think, like, as you said, like, the real, like, the real, like, source of resistance has to start at a individual level, right? And then I think, like, importantly recognize, like, how it links together with a very collective moment, right? Whether that's, like, with your friends or, like, with people that you love, right, like, I think, like, being able to, especially in a university that does not necessarily value, like, emotional intelligence or empathy or care or love, right, like, we're not taught to do those things, like, Mm -hmm. you kind of just have to figure it out, Mm -hmm. right, like, really the radical moments I find in some of the most, like, I think, defining aspects of my college experience are in those moments of learning like, with other people, right, yeah. like, experientially, like, it doesn't matter if it's, like, a relationship or, like, I don't know, in these days a situationship, right, <laughs> like, I, I just feel like... Been there, done that. Exactly, so it's, like, like, even, even in those, like, moments, like, there is so much that you're learning about care and how to take care of yourself, how to take care yes. of someone else, right, that, like, if you don't pay attention to that, right, then, like, what ultimately yeah. can you pay attention to?
0: And I actually want to, I feel like we keep going back to to the first year outdoor program in nature, but I think number one, like I think FOP is, which is the first year outdoor program. I think that was one of the, one of the reasons why it has been my favorite activity on campus is Mm -hmm. it is the only place where I really felt like care and being there for people and like being present was solely emphasized. I can't explain it. like. I, I just I think it, it probably has to do with the idea that like we are off-campus so, like we genuinely cannot worry about everything We don't have our phones mm-hmm. on us, but I felt like there was no other place No, other space on campus like fop where I could actually just solely focus on my relation to other people and the care That I was showing and the care I was receiving mm-hmm. second thing I think you said you use this word radical and actually I remember right before our fop trip in August all the seniors were like giving speeches. Yeah. I didn't give one. But you gave one. And I remember you said, I think what we're doing here is really radical. And that word, actually, like ever since you said it, it's been ingrained in my mind. And it actually was ingrained in my mind during the oh, trip. Wow. No, wow. because in moments of processing where people were sharing things and we were all sitting under the stars and people were being vulnerable and every, I was like, wow, this is radical. And I tried to put myself in the shoes of the incoming first years. It's like, mm-hmm. you get to Harvard, like, this is so foreign. And then you're just thrown into the woods and everyone is so open and everyone is all honestly like very stripped to who they are at their core. Like there's not, you can't really hide anything in outdoors. And yeah. then we're all just like sitting there and talking and I don't know. I, I, I think about FOP a lot and I think about that word radical a lot. I don't know.
1: That, wait, that, that makes me so happy. First of all, that I said you, something out of my mumble jumble of like, you
0: are the moment.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, like, that's, that's actually crazy to me that that stuck out so much, but I'm honestly honored. Um, I, I really do, like, echo your sentiment, though, because I feel like what I said, like, about carving out those moments as being radical, as, like, really immersing yourself in spaces where you're able to learn and also teach care and practice that, right? Like, I think I think the reason that it's radical is because, for me, like, if you turn your attention to, like, the larger like, social and political dynamics around us, like, I think... Okay, there's, like, there's, like, a quote that's been echoing from a song lyric, funny enough, okay. right? And it's, like, I don't even know who said it, but, okay. like, in a song, it's by, like, a British rapper called Low Key. Like, there's this echoing verse, and it's that neoliberalism is, like, the state of lovelessness, right? Mm. Um, and truly embracing, like, love in all of its forms, right? Recognizing each other um, and... I think, like, recognizing that there is something fundamentally human that anchors us in this, like, shared empathy, right? I think being able to, like, practice that, like, recognize that, right, in spaces like FOP, um, that's when a lot of the, like, necessary emotional learning and care that we need, right, happens. Um, and I think to echo your point, like, a lot of, like... I think, like, actually, like, this is a, was a really pressing question for me, right, and the reason that I felt even compelled to give that speech, right, was because I'm pretty sure, like, at the beginning of just this past year, like, senior year, right, I had really been thinking about, like, what organizations, what spaces on campus have really meant something to me, right, like you always like for any like first year, it's like you join like a range of things. You're like mm-hmm. okay, like I didn't really like this was cool, but it wasn't that great. Like okay, like people are in consulting, like I'm consulting. only doing this because like other people. I was also God forbid, consulting. I know I got rejected from consulting, so Thank that you. was fantastic. Like best like best, thing best thing that happened to the me. The best you know? thing that could happened to you. Exactly. Um,
0: I cannot imagine you in HCCG. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know exactly. So. Uh, but, you know, it's just, like, there's there's so many organizations on campus that are pre-professional or, I think, really oriented around, um, like, work or some kind of, like, deliverable, right? To use a very... A d- to use a very economic and HBS-coded word, right? Yeah. But, like...
0: Putting Harvard on blast. <laughs> I know, right? Like, actually,
1: like, I think... It's kind of crazy if you think about it, right? Yeah. Like, but... I think the spaces that have truly been very meaningful to me, right, like FOP, um, like peer counseling, right, and Indigo, um, even like Why to Why, I think are all spaces that cultivate a sense of care in some way, yes. right? Like with peer counseling, like I think what has really stood out for me, and I write about this a lot in my second chapter, but like it's it's just like a really fundamentally like a space where like someone comes in with something they want to talk about and the other person is just there to listen, right? And, like, sure, you can find that maybe in a friend or, like, in any person, right? But, like, I think there is something radical also about this relationship between, like, a couple people, right? Like, your peers, like, there's not really, like, a hierarchy like there might be in, like, seeking, like, some therapist or mental health professional, right? Like, you know that, like, there's going to be some sort of shared understanding, Right. And what's also really incredible is that, like, taken to its right degree, I think peer counseling, like, teaches you to recognize, like, assumptions and dominant narratives about the type of ideal self that we ought to be, right? Yeah. And how that's influenced by, like, these neoliberal cultural logics of, like, yes. what we are expected to do.
0: I So, I mean, I go to therapy, and I've been very open on this podcast about therapy, and one thing that I've realized is, like, I talk about my problems and I talk about the way I view the world. And then I sort of have, this happens a lot in therapy. I Mm -hmm. have this moment where I'm like, whoa, the way I view the world is like, like it's so not how I want to view the world, if that makes sense. And I don't, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of -of out-of-body experiences in therapy because Mm -hmm. my therapist is very good about getting to the root of things. She'll be like, why do you think you act this way? Why do you think you do this way? I'm like, That's a really good question. Society. Like you're
1: really pushing on something there. So.
0: And then I leave and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Um, But I
1: think that's exactly the point, right? It's that like, like sometimes like you're able to ask these deep questions, right? But it's really tough being able to integrate that, right? And I think like what's powerful about um, spaces like peer counseling is that like, especially with the model that peer counselors at Harvard supposed to use. Like this idea of like being non-directive and allowing the counselee to guide the conversation, yeah. right? In the direction that they want to go. Um, the really interesting part is that like you as the counselee, right? As a person seeking help in some ways are able to like recognize, identify like some of the perspectives, right? But also like you come to that conclusion on your own in some ways mm. so that it's, it's like, one of those things where it's like okay like moment, even if it's a momentary contestation or like a rupture of how like these dominant social narratives are influencing like the narrative of self right that you're striving to be um, those little ruptures i think are important to kind of realign like the ways in which you approach your life overall exactly
0: because i feel like one can go their whole life without ever yeah really that's why
1: people are in consulting
0: that's that's real (laughs) you said it you said it because honestly I mean I'm gonna expose myself a little bit here but I was seeing someone who works in finance I really Mm -hmm. hope he's not listening to this (laughs) but it's just like I would ask him about his work I'd be like so what are you doing do you like it he'd be like yeah, you know, I just, I, I mean, also, I'm not trying to, like, discount any, yeah, any yeah. jobs, like, you do what you do, you like what you yeah. like. Like,
1: do what you need to do, you know? do like, there you are valid to, and real reasons to why, why you might go into consulting, you know what I mean? like, sure.
0: But, I just, he couldn't put his finger on the, the value of it, I guess, and I, like, honestly, like, there's a lot of, Again, like, I'm not trying to judge people for their career choices. Like, oftentimes, like, people are shuttled into careers that they don't want to do, but they have to, you know? Um, And it kind of ties back to this idea of choice and X, Y, Z, whatever. But I just, I think, like, when I, I don't know. Like, I can't imagine doing that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It it makes me feel, like, well, it actually reminds me of... um, I think there was like a book called Winner Take All. Um I haven't heard of and it. it's it's like written about like jobs like finance and consulting. Like what some scholars might call bullshit jobs, you know. <laughs> like I think there's actually a book just titled Bullshit Jobs, right? <laughs> but like I think I think what's kind of scary is that like the the promise of consulting and the way that I think a lot of these jobs are pitched is that like you're going to live comfortably, right? You're going to probably be able to travel. Like, you'll have some time to, like, gain skills and marketable skills. traits and stuff, Ooh, right? Marketable. To, like, be competitive in the later job market, etc., <laughs> etc. et cetera. It's, like, in some ways, it's, like, you're leaving the door open, right? Like, maximizing your potential for choice, right? And, like, this, I, I think, like, yes, like, great. Great to have choices, right? Applaud that. But I think it's also kind of interesting to see how this aligns with, like, how i think in a neoliberal society right like the sort of market logic of being able to choose anything right and like to really put freedom on its like ultimate pedestal
0: i mean no one ever has yeah. well some people do but most people don't have full range of choice yeah it's it's always an
1: illusion right but i don't know i think i think like the i think i'm just kind of concerned for people who go into, like, these, like, very supposedly prestigious jobs, right, Um, and maybe don't take the time to, like, have that sort of critical reflection about, Mm -hmm. as you said, like, what are you actually doing with your job, right? right?
0: And it's hard, though, because, I mean, not all of them are important, but some of these jobs are needed and important because, you know, money.
1: Yeah, money, (laughs) but also, like, I mean, it's not to say that, like, there aren't like real projects, right, that are of value, right? Like I think I worked like very briefly like a summer in technically like a healthcare consulting startup, right? Um, I mean it was really just like doing glorified research. I was working for like the New York State Department or something. Yeah. On like telehealth and opioid treatment. Um That's really cool. No, it was actually really cool. I feel like I was just doing glorified research, <laughs> you know, and getting paid money for it. Which is kinda crazy to think about, right? In my dreams. Um <laughs> But, like, even, I, I, think, I think it was really cool, and I think there's projects that are of value in some way, right? But also, I think, at least for me, like, in my own experience, I was, like, I just can't be that person who looks at spreadsheets and sits in front of a laptop all day, you know? <laughs> like, that's, like, a big part of the reason where I was, like, okay, like, maybe I do need to go to medical school because I care about people and I need, like, a profession that actually lets you know, me do that in some way.
0: The older so. I get... The more I'm, I sort of, I mean, I've been in the process of job recruiting and mm-hmm. doing all that. Number one, I realized, like, I mean, I do think there is merit to, like, the hiring process, but I feel like so much of it is
1: fake. Yeah.
0: Like, everyone talks about skills. Like yeah, What skills so true. do you so have? True. What yeah. skills do you have? And I think there's also, I see all these TikToks sort of criticizing, like, these ridiculous names for positions where people will be like, Oh, what are you? And they're like, I'm a, I don't know, like public relations, marketing, social director. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's just all these made up titles and it's like, what? Like, what are you really doing? What are you really doing? But honestly, I asked myself that in a day to day. I'm like, what am I really doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think like a lot of us, like if, if anything, I think all of us should be asking us, that question yeah brain, i mean but...
0: i i think it's like i say this a lot but i feel like i question things a lot and i feel like that's how i know i'm growing mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm at this point where i i'm questioning like why am i at harvard why do i believe the things that i believe why am i attracting these kinds of people into my life mm-hmm. why do i go about life like this
1: yeah, those are really deep questions. I know. Like, props to you for even asking them.
0: I mean, girl, I've been in like the most existential mood recently. Yeah. Which I think this episode is perfect to supplement that. Yeah. But
1: of course, yeah. I think I think I've also like, I think I had a very existential esque phase, um, when? sophomore year.
0: Okay, I didn't know you. Oh my god,
1: year. all of the things are happening sophomore year. We can talk about that some other time. we'll, we'll, maybe. we'll end but, the
0: podcast and then we'll sure we'll get sure. Into that's the that's totally fine.
1: You know, but. <laughs> I think I think like one of the things that like back to this idea of love and care right I think really those principles anchored like my sense of purpose and the questions I was asking to myself at that time because I was like well like what like what would make life like worth li- worth living like what what am I even doing you know and I think a lot of that is like Like, it's so cheesy, right? But for me, it really does all go back to love in some way, right? I think, like, I can trace, like, for instance, like, my sense of adventure, right? To, like, this, like, love for, like, experiencing the world and, like, the beauty and the wonder of, like, everything around me, right? Like, where I fit into place with this, like, really, like, cosmic sense of um, harmony and peace and um, all of the, like, I guess, like, intricacies and patterns, right? That I see that I feel like we as individual people are also a part of, I think like on a relationship level, right? Like love and care, obviously, right? Like it's, it's just like, there's a certain point where I think like, I maybe like stopped asking as much of these questions. And I think it does go back to like orienting myself around like, these, like, little fundamental things, Mm -hmm. right, that are shared experiences of, well, I hope would be shared human experiences, right?
0: I love the phrase shared experiences, like, I just love that phrase so much, I'm, like, writing my medical school applications right now, and I, (laughs) I've used that phrase so many times, because I, like, I just love it, anyway, that's kind of tangent. okay, second thing I want to say is, um, I think the older I get, I'm not even that old, but the older I get, the more I realize, like, we're
1: old now, it's okay. (laughs)
0: People just want to be loved. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, I feel like whenever I talk to people, everyone's, like, main concern, like, job or whatever, like, friends, yeah, but, like, everyone's main concern is, like, feeling loved and finding someone to love, and, like, Mm -hmm. people are so, like, everyone just wants to be loved, and I'm, like, you know, that's relatable, but also (laughs) also relatable. Um, Big relatable. Big relatable. Capital R. (laughs) But it's like, we all want it so bad, but then, yeah, like I feel like the society we live in has completely capitalized yeah. love. Now I'm feeling really existential.
1: Okay. That's okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes you can sit in like the little existential moments, right? And like, I don't know, I, I would like to think that something productive comes out of each one yeah. in some way.
0: I mean, I feel like I, I love talking to you because every time we talk, I feel like I, I gain a new insight in life. Oh, really? I mean, I just think it's... You don't have these kinds of conversations with everyone very often. I think I've been really lucky where I've made some amazing friends in college where I feel like I can Mm -hmm. talk about, like, broader things, but there are some people where you talk to them and you just can't get past the... You can't get past the the top layer. Um,
1: Yeah. I think, like, a lot of it, like, goes to... A sense of, like, willing to share, willing to be vulnerable. I think... I feel like I'm pretty much an open book, you know, for, like, better or worse reasons, right? (laughs) But a lot of it, I think, is touching back to this point of, like, how much of ourselves do we allow our everyday lives to embody, right? And, like, how much do we choose to share with other people, Right. right? And I think for people, like, of course, there's, like, different thresholds, right? But I think, like, I just... Like one of the ways that my friends have described me, right, that I think is actually really accurate and I think actually resonates a lot is that I like to live my life intensely. Hmm. And like I think what that means is that I would rather like share like more and I guess like take risks, right, in my relationships and in what I choose to do, or think about, or to even talk about, right, that maybe my risk tolerance is really high in, like, the types of experiences I'm seeking, right, but it also, I think, spills over to level of conversations, right, because, like, if you aren't, like, sharing these existential moments, like, taking these risks, right, in conversations, then how are you going to learn about the important and the really deeply personal or meaningful things to you?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, this podcast is called Unfiltered, so... Yeah. Right down your alley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I totally, I totally get that. Yeah.
1: I think. I just think it's so cool that you have this podcast, though, Evelyn. Like, well,
0: I... I'm hoping it's a lifelong project. Because um, I just feel like I'm, I, f- I mean, we're all in this period of life where there's just so much going on. There's so much change. And I just really want to document that because I think it's, I, I, I describe it as like a living archive. I think it's. I don't
1: know. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. I'm, like, losing it's, it's, brain cells right now. <laughs> why are you losing brain cells? I don't
0: know. I I'm just making you lose
1: like... brain cells? No.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> I just feel like we're talking about, like, so many heavy things. I'm, like, thinking about everything. And, like, yeah. I actually, I was also thinking about how for every podcast episode, I write, like, a description, and like, I write mm-hmm. a title. And, like, usually it's pretty easy. But I feel like with this episode, I'm, like, You just, just You so could just much. leave
1: it untitled, you know. Or, like, little, like, time. category of themes It's going to be, like...
0: I'm just going to, like... There's just a lot yeah. that we've covered. Um, I think we're reaching about an hour. <laughs> okay, great. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Like, any, I don't know, anything else that we didn't touch on? You can always come back for a part two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do that, but I, I don't think there's anything pressing. Like, I think, if anything, like... I think, like, the beautiful part about conversations is also that it's kind of like a trip itself, right? Like, you can mm-hmm. have intentions about what you want to talk about, That's right? But the direction the conversation doesn't necessarily go. And I think, like, I have talked about some things I've thought about, maybe not thought about for a while, but I think are really important aspects of myself, too. Good. So I appreciate that you brought me on yeah. and helped to unearth these no, things No, thank well.
0: you so much for, for joining me today, Brian, and for... Coming all the way out here to my door, <laughs> which I know it's really cold outside. We'll celebrate afterwards. Yeah, it's we will okay. celebrate after. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and and your life stories. I I'm sure there are so many people listening who will find it very interesting. <laughs> I it's always a pleasure to yeah. talk to you and. Um, it's a privilege to be here. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is I, the first podcast I'm on. No way. Yeah. You should get on David's podcast.
1: I should. I like he's Does, he he's told like, me that he's gonna bring me on his podcast. Is he still doing his podcast. I think he's been on pause for a little bit. Okay. Because yeah. I feel
0: like I haven't seen anything. Yes. From him yeah. Um, but.
1: I want. Well, so yeah, I'm I'm honored podcast. to be here. <laughs> no,
0: you did great. Very. Okay. Yeah. Very great. Very insightful. Five star rating. Five star rating. Great. <laughs> um, thank you guys all for continuing to listen and support. Uh, as always, I will be keeping up with these guest episodes every week. I kind of had a break the past couple of weeks because I was out of town. I went to San Francisco for a little bit, which is a lot of fun. And then the weekend before that, I was, I don't remember what I was doing, but I was not on But well, you're doing a great job. I was, <laughs> I was somewhere else. Um, but there will be weekly episodes um, from here on out. So stay tuned for that. Thank you again, Brian, for joining me. Of course. And uh, we will be back next week.